In my heart, this is very important to me. Ultimately, people are not really saying what is the answer. Ultimately, they are saying who is the answer. And every person in this world, the ultimate answer to him is really the person of Jesus Christ. I sometimes think about the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails, the crown of thorns, and Jesus crucified for me. But even could I see him die, I would but see a little part of that great love which, like a fire, is always burning in his heart. You are valuable to God. You are unique and a composite fashioned in the image of God for a particular purpose. What it means to be human is to be created in the image of God. What it means to find your destiny is to find your creator who has created you and why he has made you for a purpose. So in general terms, the Imago Dei, in particular terms, it's not who you are alone that defines you, but whose you are. That is my prayer. To me, the person of Jesus Christ provides that coherent answer in the incarnation. He identifies my malady, provides for my malady, draws me into that relationship, takes me through the process of suffering, shows me the purity of Jesus himself in the way he taught and lived. And ultimately in rising again from the dead, he teaches me that time is merely a temporal thing. We are here for eternity and he alone is able to take us through the cross past the open tomb into the very presence of God. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. There is no other worldview that will give you corresponding and coherent answers to the four questions of life with logic, consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto yeah. the Father He describes your heart. He provides for your malady. He equips you in suffering. He puts meaning into every moment in history. And he conquers death through the resurrection from the grave. Surrender to him. Love him. Follow him. Serve him. Live for him. And take his message wherever you go.
Well, we are here because our God is an almighty God. And we are here to celebrate today and to honor the life of Ravi Zacharias. But we are also here today to give glory to Ravi's Savior and to lift high the name of Jesus. Uh, Margie, to you and Sarah, Naomi, to Nathan and Sarah and to the kids, you are surrounded today, literally and virtually, uh, by a cocoon of love and support in this moment. And we know that there are people on every continent and countless nations in this moment who are leaning in to say, we love this man. And because of him, we love the Savior who has lifted us from death into eternal life. And so I want to welcome you wherever you are joining us from all around the globe in this moment to the memorial service for Ravi Zacharias here from Atlanta, Georgia, and Louis Giglio. We're at Passion City Church, and today's going to be a beautiful celebration of life. We're not here today to celebrate death. We are here today to celebrate life. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are in this building or around the world, when it's appropriate, please applaud. When it's appropriate, please say amen. When it comes to the right time, please say yes, praise God. Because today we are here to celebrate that death is dead and that Ravi is alive. That is what we've come to celebrate in this moment. So Lord, we give you praise today. Thank you that you are the God of all comfort. That's not what you do, that is who you are. And I thank you that you are in our midst in this moment. Jesus, you are here in the midst of our grief and our joy. And so will you lift our heads today? Will you lift our hearts today? Will remind us again today that we have a moment in time to make our lives count in the same way that you made your life count for us. So above all things today, we want to honor Ravi. But more than anything in this day, we want to glorify you. So be praised and honored in this place and through this place to the nations today. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and we're going to hear first today from Sarah Davis. going to be reading from the book of Psalms today, Psalm 37, verse 1 through 9. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, for he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land.
Pastor Giglio, Governor Kemp, Secretary Perdue, Secretary Carson, Senator Scott, honored guests, members of the RZIM team, to all those looking on across America and across the world, and especially to Margie, Sarah, Naomi, Nathan, and the entire Zacharias family. It is deeply humbling for my wife Karen and me to be here among so many friends and distinguished leaders to give thanks for the life and legacy of Ravi Zacharias. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And that is our prayer for you on this day and in all the long days that lie ahead. Yesterday, President Trump said, by making the intellectual case for Christianity, Ravi Zacharias was instrumental in helping millions of people around the world come to know the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so on behalf of the first family, our family, and a grateful nation, Karen and I offer our deepest sympathies to your family and who all like us had the privilege to know and cherish this good man, this godly man, this man for all seasons. On the death of Abner, King David said, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? Ravi Zacharias was such a man. And like so many gathered here and so many looking on from afar, he was my friend. And as I had the privilege to share with Margie just a few short days ago, God put him at my side at just the right time with a word of wisdom and kindness and encouragement that I'll never forget. And so while it is my great privilege to be here today to speak on behalf of so many Americans, Karen and I mark his passing with a sense of personal loss as well. And we thank you for the privilege to be here. And of course, his passing comes at a time when so many families here and around the world are grieving the loss of loved ones who have succumbed amidst the coronavirus epidemic. As our nation begins the process of healing and recovering, we will miss Ravi's comforting voice and his insights as we pick up the pieces of our national life and move forward. During our last conversation from his hospital bed, not surprisingly, Ravi was more concerned for those who were struggling in the midst of this pandemic than he was for himself. So I know Ravi would approve if on this day we also made a point to remember and pray for all who have endured heartbreak 
during these unprecedented times. So for his family, and families around America and around the world, grieving the loss of a loved one, let's all pray that those who mourn would be comforted with the absolute assurance that he had that the day will come when God will wipe away every tear from your eyes and theirs. And in every sense in these challenging times that he will heal our land. Ravi Zacharias' story has been an inspiration to millions of people. On a bed of suicide at 17, void of meaning, emptied of hope, he opened a Bible. And he read the words that are now displayed on the wall outside this church. Because I live, you shall live also. And lying on that hospital bed, he opened his heart and his life to Jesus Christ, vowed to leave no stone unturned in his pursuit of the truth. And that he surely did. In the book of Isaiah, the word says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. And so it was for Ravi Zacharias. Over the past five decades, called from that hospital bed, Ravi's voice and ministry impacted countless lives, transformed and strengthened people all over America and all over the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ravi Zacharias was a man of faith who could rightly handle the word of truth like few others in our time, and he will be missed. His travels would take him to stand in venues that were oftentimes unfriendly and unwelcoming, but he'd always answer the arguments of the skeptic or the cynic, giving the reason for the hope that he had but doing so with gentleness and respect, recognizing at the other end of the question was always a person made in the image of God. Robbie said, and I quote, I have reminded myself over the years to never forget that behind every question is a questioner. And behind every questioner is a network of assumptions, hurts, struggles, and often prejudices. He spoke truth, he spoke it with kindness and a deep and abiding care for every person who would listen. On the death of Billy Graham a little more than two years ago, Ravi remarked, and I quote, a great voice has been lost but the message goes on. And those two things are just as true today. In the late Reverend Billy Graham, it's been observed that God gave us the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. In Ravi Zacharias, God gave us the greatest Christian apologist of this century.
He was the C.S. Lewis of our day, crisscrossed the globe to every Mars hill he could find to answer skeptics, move obstacles of unbelief, armed with intellect, girded with truth and love. And what he said on that day two years ago is just as true today. The work of RZIM will go on. When giants fall, the impact is felt near and far. So it was in Atlanta, around America and around the world, on May the 19th, when this gentle giant of the faith, on whose shoulders so many of us have leaned, was with us no more. So we mourn with those who mourn. And we grieve with those who grieve, but we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Because by faith, we believe that Jesus lives, and by faith, we know that Ravi lives also. <laughs> Ravi Zacharias fought the good fight. He finished the race, he kept the faith and clung to the power of the cross and the empty grave. And now we know there is laid up for him a crown. So Lord will award to him on that day. May God bless the memory of Ravi Zacharias. May God comfort his precious family as they mourn the passing of this good and great man. And may God grant us all the grace to walk forward with hearts full of gratitude for the life that we honor today, a life that just a few short days ago, and a man who undoubtedly heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Robbie. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God bless you. To me, this has a strange romantic feel, even though it's harsh. I look at the masses of the auto rickshaws and the motorbikes. I used to go to school on my motorbike. Now as I look back, I say to myself, this was life for me. If you go to my home, which is where I lived most of my years, if you look carefully from the back there, you'll see the bathroom window where I attempted to take my own life. On that hospital bed in Delhi, when I was taken there at the age of 17 and the Bible was brought to me. So nearly 56 years have gone by and I have not outgrown the thrill of knowing he had come to me personally. We need to remember in the rush and tumble of life, every individual is seeking answers and it's the Lord Jesus alone who comes to the heart doesn't give you an ethical system, but gives you a transformation. 
I look at the younger generation, and that's what gives me the fulfillment. That says to me, this work will go on. To most of you, Ravi was a preacher, teacher, evangelist, and apologist. To me, he was all those. And in addition, he was an amazing brother. What Ravi demonstrated to me was God, what God was capable of taking one person who was totally committed to honoring and serving him. There was a pivotal time in Ravi's life when he survived a failed suicide attempt at the age of 17. While he was in his hospital bed, somebody gave him a Bible, and our mother read to him, and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. That started 57 years of travel around the globe where he preached the gospel. While Ravi traveled almost 200 days a year, his amazing wife, Margie, of 48 years, raised three beautiful children, Sarah, Naomi, and Nathan. So Margie, on behalf of RZIM, we want to thank you for all that you have done for the ministry. But more importantly, Margie, thank you for sharing Ravi with the world. God. God, in his infinite wisdom, thought the best way to train Ravi for the ministry was to bring the mission field into his home by making me his roommate. At the time Ravi was studying at an Ontario Bible College, I was an undergraduate at the University of Toronto, hoping for a career in medicine. Every day, Ravi would get up one hour before our departure time. He would get dressed, have his devotions, and make multiple trips upstairs to wake me up. Invariably, we left late. In the first half of our uh, journey to work, he would say to me, Ramesh, you frustrate me. You have to get some discipline in your life. The second half of the trip, he'd apologize to me, <laughs> saying, I'm so sorry to admonish you because I truly believe that you actually have potential if you could only get focused. So when I got into medical school, there was nobody more excited about it than Ravi, only to find out years later his main interest was that I would give him free medical advice. <laughs> Ravi had many remarkable qualities. First, Ravi was incredibly committed to God. As a young man, my mother would have to bribe him with candy to even read a single page. When God got a hold of him, he developed such an incredible appetite to study and read everything. The second great quality that Ravi had was the spirit of compassion. I will never forget in 1971, while Ravi preached at a church three and a half hours from Toronto, he came home around 1.30 or 2 in the morning, and I could see him kneeling beside his bed, and I could hear him 
praying for those he counseled. I thought to myself, even God would have forgiven him if he went straight to bed. But not Ravi. He prayed, told them he was going to pray for them, and then he did. Third, Margie, Ravi, and you have raised an incredible organization, RZIM. And two weeks ago, while I was flying into Atlanta, it was as though God said to me, what am I going to do to continue this ministry, to raise the next generation of apologists so that the believer will think and the thinker can believe? So my challenge to all of you is, what are you going to do to continue his work? The French often, when they bid farewell, say au revoir which actually means until we meet again. So to the preacher, teacher, evangelist, and apologist, my precious brother, my hero, au revoir, Ravi. Robbie came into my life when I was 10 years old, and based on the color of my hair, you can tell that was a very long time ago. In fact, he's a part of most of my memories. We played hockey together as a family. He was always on the Canadian team, and he always assigned me to the Russian team. As kids, he taught us a line dance called the Madison that we did to a Letterman song. He was never our brother-in-law. He was always our brother. He was there for us at each of life's milestones, dedications, graduations, marriages, and funerals. I even lived with Margie and Ravi for a year. I've traveled with them internationally, and I'm now one of the RZIM staff. I've seen Ravi publicly and privately, in hard times and in good, in a rush to catch a plane, and in the precious little downtime he had. I tell you this, that you may know I am a witness to Ravi's life and to his character. You can't spend that much time together without seeing the character of a person. And I want you to know the way Ravi lived out his faith is the closest reflection of Jesus I have ever known. And that reflection has pointed me to deeper faith and trust in the Lord. I have learned so much from him. Often I will ask myself, now what would Ravi do? And then try to respond accordingly. No matter where he was, he treated those marginalized by society who crossed his path in kind to those who were leaders and kings, not as a publicity stunt, but because they are people created by God and worthy of honor and respect. The driver, the bag carrier, the cleaning staff, the vendor on the side of the road, all were created in the image of God. He always asked their names and called them by name and then focused on what was important to them. Everywhere we went, they remembered him with wide smiles and he always remembered their names and their stories even years later. One to give everyone a second chance, his manner was gentle and accepting even at great cost to himself. During his last week with us, 
I never heard him complain about the pain he was in. He never asked, why me, or why this way? Instead, he quoted scripture. He talked about the goodness of the Lord. He talked about his deep love for Margie and how when he chose her, he had chosen wisely, that without her, he never could have accomplished what he was able to do. One of the last things he said to us was don't ever quit. My challenge to each of us today is to think about that one thing in Ravi's words or deeds that drew you closer to Christ and make a promise today before God and these witnesses to weave that thing into the very fabric of who you are. For I believe if we all did this, we would be forever changed. And what a wonderful world this would be. Margie, thank you. This is the greatest honor of my life. So how does a guy like me meet Ravi, work for him, and then become one of his dearest friends? A month after I got saved, a friend of mine recommended that I listen to a guy named Ravi Zacharias. I had no idea who he was. So I went to a bookstore and I found one of his books, and the first thing that I did was I flipped the book around because I wanted to see his picture. And I remember saying, wow, another Indian guy that loves Jesus. Now there are two in the world. <laughs> Every time I would listen to his messages, I would always say to myself, I wish my parents could hear this message. You see, Ravi gave me the confidence to tell my parents that I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I convinced my parents to go see Ravi speak live in Toronto, Canada. And after that, we were invited back to meet him. And what happened that night was from God. You see, Ravi, led my 70-year-old mother to Christ that night. And that's how we met. And there's a photograph with them dialoguing, and moments later, she would bow her head. After that, he asked me to share my testimony at his annual founders meeting. And then from there, we would uh, go around the world occasionally where I would speak with him. And then in 2015, Ravi asked me to meet him in Goa, India. It was there where he baptized me, and we began to talk about my future. He asked me if I'd like to join the ministry full-time and be his confidant. I remember looking at him and saying, Ravi, why me? And he answered, because you make my step lighter, Sanj. I said, okay, it would be my honor, but on one condition, that you 
correct me because I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. And I made a lot of mistakes. He then said, okay, then I have one condition for you, Sanj. He said, remember to do things for people that can't do things for you. And after that, for the next five years, we hit the road and we became close friends. You can see the photos that we loved all kinds of food, especially Indian food, especially a good masala dosa. Whenever we had free time, we would uh, love to shop and always look for a good bargain. But our favorite shop was a Japanese retail store called Uniqlo. Ravi and I loved sports. We were able to go to Wimbledon, to the French Open, the US Open, the World Cup in, in Brazil. But most of all, we loved to laugh. My favorite thing was when his head would tilt back, laughing. That's when I knew we were having fun. A week before he passed, he told me, Sanj, you are my walking stick. And that I was like a Jonathan to him. It was my deepest honor to be your friend and to serve you, Ravi. I love you, and I will see you one day. Hey, Shane and Shane, Adrian here. Uh, such a privilege to be a part of this event. Uh, Ravi meant so much to all of us and all of our families, and he helped me uh, understand what we're about to sing that if I have Jesus, if I know the shepherd, then I have it all. And his goodness and his mercy, because I've put my trust in him, will never, through any circumstance, will never leave me and will never leave you if you know him. And so we're going to sing it now. You're welcome to join us, the 23rd Psalm. forever and bless 
before me in the presence of my enemies though the arrow flies and the terror of night is at my door I'll trust you Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me all my days, and I will dwell in your house forever, and bless your Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me all my days, and I will dwell in your house forever, and bless your home.
the Indian national anthem. This isn't going to be enough. Um, these words aren't going to be enough. And it isn't because of the limits of time. It's the limits of language to begin to describe everything that this man was and all that he meant to us. Um, my oldest son, who's eight, um, a couple of uh, weeks ago, several weeks ago, I guess, asked, sat me down and he said, I need to know what's happening with Papa and if he's going to be okay. And so as we started talking about my dad, uh, he was overwhelmed with emotion. And he said to me, Mama, you don't understand. I can't be me without Papa. And we started talking about what he meant to him. And we said, Todd, you're talking about the things that even death can never take away from my son, the things that his grandfather has meant to him. And then he turned to me and he said, what has Papa meant to you? And I knew right away inside that for me, he was the man who loved me. He was a man who has always loved me. He was so many other things. My mom told us that the first thing my dad said every morning was, thank you, Lord. I've tried it. And do you know how hard that is to do, no matter what has happened the day before or what you think today might hold? He told me that being a good man doesn't mean doing the right thing when it's easy. That was just common sense, he said. It was only character when it was hard, and you did it anyway. He was brilliant. His brilliance does not keep me from trying to win an argument, though. And in our last few weeks in Houston, as he started to weaken, he grew him quiet and in an attempt at humor, I told him that I needed him to get better. When he wasn't speaking, I was finally winning all of our arguments and I wanted the challenge back. His eyes stayed closed, but he grinned. My dad was at home with those often overlooked, taken for granted, or marginalized. A friend wrote that he could dine with kings and make a taxi driver feel like a king. If you were in front of him, he saw you. I love that the most intense I ever saw him in answering a persistent questioner was when he was defending the God-given value of women. He was so problematically generous. One of the sweet challenges of directing his philanthropy through RZIM was that he hated the paperwork. 
If someone had a need, we needed to help them, and he was frustrated by the process that sometimes delayed it. And I knew that if the delay was more than he could handle, he was simply going to quietly pay it from his own pocket, and he did that more times than I can count. He was funny, like really funny. <laughs> my dad loved my mom, but he admired her too. He said that it was her strength and gentleness in, him, in her that drew him to her. He said to me, but I never could have known how amazing she would be, all that she would do, all that she would give, and that she would be all of these things to me. I think, Mom, that every time I walked into your room those last few months in Houston, Dad would look at me and give me one of his beautiful smiles, and he would always say, it's so good to see you, sweetheart. Look at your mother. She's an absolute gem. He wasn't one of those parents that told us that we should do anything we wanted. It was the particularity of our individual strength that he saw and he championed. Sarah, he recognized the leadership abilities in you years ago, but he trusted your judgment because he trusted your heart. And he saw something stunning in your soul. And Nate, you made him laugh, like that head back contagious laugh Sandra's talking about that we loved. He loved that your strength of person was shrouded in a gentleness that is rare. And he wanted you to hang on to that in a world that tries to destroy it on the rare occasion that it finds it. He was a doting grandfather, this classy man with a mind for knowledge and poetry and philosophy who would look at the across the table to his grandchildren with adoration and just randomly call out, I love you, little boy. I love you, little girl. He had met with public leaders, but I never saw him as nervous as he was the day he walked into my four-year-old's class to be secret reader. He knew those little people mattered, and he had humility to know that he had to earn their trust and respect. He knew that it meant nothing to a little boy in there that he'd spoken at Princeton, but everything to him that his papa showed up in preschool that day. There was such a goodness to him, a pure goodness. If he believed in you, it did not matter what other people said about you. He had your back, and he proudly stood in your corner. This is just a glimpse of him. So when I told my sister that my son had asked who Papa had been to me, I said, I know he's so many other things, but to me, he's the man who loved me. He's the man who loved us. And my sister said, but isn't that everything in the end? And at the end of his life, when his body was suffering and declining, when medication struggled to ease his agony, when the windows to the soul are open and exposed, what we saw is that he could not take his eyes off my mother. He told us countless times a day that he loved us. He prayed constantly, one time, nine times in a row for the same meal until my mom and I finally decided it was probably just too much trouble to eat. He marveled at how beautiful my sister was every time she stepped into the room. When those striking dark eyes that were always shining and full of life began to change and eventually close, when he was no longer able to converse, he whispered constantly about the gospel. He called for my mother and he melted into her with the little strength he had when she took his face in her hands. He called out Baba to my brother. He whispered about kebabs that melted in your mouth, biryani and gulab jamun. My father was ready to meet his Lord, but he fought as he did. Only because he didn't want to leave us. 
my sweet father, who's so faithful that although I'm 42 years old, one of the last things he whispered to me was that he wished he could take care of me forever. So when he exhaled his last breath, each one of us could physically feel a part of ourselves die with him. And it was my mother who first broke the sound of our cries together and could say, what a beautiful man and what a beautiful life. And my sister could whisper, we were the luckiest. At the end of Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch is walking into the courthouse for his great trial and sitting in the balcony, a caretaker urges his daughter. She says, stand up, Jean Louise, your father's passing. In a different sense, my father is passing. And dad, I want to stand up in absolute respect and adoration and honor for who you are, for who you have been in life, who you've been to me, dad, who you have been as my father to this daughter. You are one of the greatest loves of my life, and I will forever be standing at the sound of your name and standing to try to live my life in what will only be a fraction of the example you have set. And when I'm tired or so sad and so weary, I won't give up, Dad. I will think of you, and I will stand for who you made me and taught me to be, for the example you set for me, for the love you've given me, and the God you have shown me. Mom, to honor Dad is to honor you. He would not have been who he was without your belief and support. He was a part of your calling, a beautiful part of it, but your calling and purpose still continue, and we will surround you as you continue to live it. When the hospice nurse told us my dad didn't have much time, she said it can be hard for the body at this point. The body knows that something's happening, but it's not at a stage anymore where it can necessarily process what's happening. And she said it can feel quite scary. So she said, help him to feel loved, help him to feel strong enough to do this, and let him know he is safe with you. We knew how to do that because it's what he's always done for us. And what an honor it was to get to do this for him as together as a family, we walked him home. Dad, when I was a little girl and you were away, I missed you so much. I wasn't the same when you weren't there, and I couldn't wait for you to come home. I always knew we were your home. The Lord had called you to a purpose, but he let us be your home. And now that you've gone, we miss you so much. We have to think to try to breathe. But this time, Dad, we are longing and looking forward to the day when we will all come home to you. I think that maybe I will always struggle to accept that I couldn't fix this for you. Not because I thought I was that powerful, but because you were so worth fighting for. And I wanted more time. <laughs> but we can say thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us in this man who is hero of our hearts. My son is right. None of us will be the same without you. We will do what you showed us to do. We will love each other. We will find strength in and for each other. And we will be a safe place for each other. And to the best of our ability, we will live the way you showed us how to live and how to die. Our beloved father, the beautiful embodiment of the words of the hymn writer, I'll love thee in life. I will love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death do lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now.
We just lost the best grandfather in the world. This will be hard for so many people around the world. But for my cousin and my siblings, but for me, my cousin, and my siblings, this is really hard. There's not even a word for how amazing he was. He was the third person I met in my life. We know he loves us so much. He said it, he showed it. We were always happy to see him, and we knew he was always happy to see us. He always hugged us and sounded so excited. He was a big part of our lives. He was wise. He was really good at playing with us. We loved when he would chase us. He was very smart. He was brave. He inspired me to be me. When I saw him preach, preach, I was amazed. He told us so many great stories about his life. When I'm in a tough spot and don't know what to do, I'm going to close my eyes and imagine myself standing in front of heaven and asking Papa what to do. That's what I'm going to do. A few days ago, my sister found a ladybug. She said to make a wish. So I wish, wish to see him soon. We love him so much. Hey friends, I know that Ravi loved this hymn, Here is Love, that was written in the Welsh Revival in the early 1900s in the UK. We're going to sing it today in praise of the Saviour and His grace, but at the same time, today we're going to sing it in memory and in honour of Ravi Zacharias, amazing servant of the gospel, ambassador of truth, defender of the faith, and a worshipper right to the very end. Now let's worship today. Who is love will not remain 
So Jesus, we sing in praise of your salvation today. Thank you for the cross. And at the same time, we sing in love and memory and honor of your servant, Ravi. I'd love to sing these words over his life and memory today. Now this servant of the gospel, this defender of the faith, will see the My friend Ravi Zacharias is the best man that I've ever known. But that's not the best thing about him. The best thing about him is that that thought never would have crossed his mind. Never have I known someone who was so successful at what he did and yet so humble. He even suggested that we hold this memorial service in the RZIM chapel. We reminded him that the RZIM chapel seats about a dozen people, to which he responded, do you think we'll need to use the auditorium? At that point, his best friend Sands jumped in and said, Ravi, what are you talking about? Half of India is coming. They're all on their way right now, and every one of them is going to make a presentation. We're going to be there for weeks. And oh, man, was Ravi laughing with that beautiful smile. It never would have crossed Ravi's mind to think of how many people would want to honor him because he was always so focused on honoring others, no matter what. One time during Q&A, a man came to the microphone and he gave an aggressive monologue of all of his reasons for not believing, even despising Christianity. Then he stormed off towards the exit. Many speakers would have been happy to see him go. Ravi leapt out of his chair. He ran to the edge of the stage, his foot leaning off, pleading with the man to come back. Sir, please don't go. Please come back. I care about your question. Please let me try to respond. Of all the people in the audience, that was the person that Ravi longed for most. He had this tenacious, Christ-like desire for the one. Ravi was equally a pursuer of truth and a pursuer of people, and that was not accidental. Today's secular philosophies theorize that truth-bearers, the things that are true, are either propositions or sentences or beliefs or facts, all abstract, all impersonal, all intangible. Ravi knew deep in his soul that the bearer of truth is a person, the person who bore his sin on a blood-stained cross, the person who bore his shame on a bed of suicide, the person who set the bearings for his entire life. Ravi showed us that because truth is a person, it is impossible to pursue truth without pursuing people. A colleague recently mentioned Ravi's illness to a contract worker who was doing some work in the building, assuming she might not even know who Ravi is. She began to sob. She had to hold onto the wall as she cried and cried. She shared that the first time Ravi saw her, he walked right up to her and greeted her by name and thanked her for her hard work. That meant so much to her that she looked him up online and began watching his videos. And even though she's from a different religious background, she is now pursuing Christ. Truth is being pursued because the person was pursued, because Ravi knew her by name. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope 
that you have. Our calling is to share hope. And what produces hope? Paul tells us in Romans 5, we glory in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produce endurance, endurance, character, and character, hope. We are called to share hope, and hope is produced by character. Many people are smart. Many people are uniquely gifted. Ravi had something much more rare and much more valuable, character, a character fully submitted to Christ, which therefore overflowed with the hope that we are called to share. My last words to Ravi where we wish that we could go with you. But we promise to carry on the vision that God entrusted to you. Suffering, endurance, character, hope. The literal meaning for that word endurance is remaining behind. Through Ravi's suffering, May we who remain behind commit ourselves to the character of Christ, which alone produces the only hope worth sharing with the world. As we do, what joy to imagine Ravi receiving from his beloved Jesus the same honor that Ravi bestowed on so many. You must be Ravi. Thank you for your hard work. I love you. Welcome home. God has seen it fit to bless this ministry. The freedom to choose is the greatest privilege he's given to you and to me. And in the end, we get exactly what we chose. What I had envisioned from the beginning has come to pass, so that if at any moment God calls me home, the team is there. To see even skeptics coming and asking their honest questions with courtesy, that's what it's all about. A building like this, these are bricks and mortar, but inside is a real building. The people that God has brought here who are working round the clock to make this ministry have an impact upon the lives of people. It's not so much that we read the gospel as much as the gospel reads us. We have violated the law of God and the need of forgiveness. They are wonderful speakers, wonderful writers. Some of them have yet to come into their own. Their best days are ahead. Love cannot legitimately be used in a quantified universe. It is a metaphysical proposition, and dare I suggest to you, a spiritual proposition. Having a team like this is what enables us to cover many, many tracks in many, many countries over many years that have gone by and hopefully the best years to come. My prayer is that our greatest years be ahead. I don't say that as a cliche, but I say it in a way that I hope even we have not yet envisioned what all God is actually going to do through some dramatic conversion somewhere in the world, people who can change history. And I think that's going to happen. Rabbi Zacharias was a man set on fire, and so it's no surprise he blazed such a trail, trail for Jesus Christ. Anne and I loved him dearly as much as we loved Margie and Sarah and Naomi and Nathan and the whole family. 
Margie asked me to share a few words about how Ravi Mount modeled the call of an evangelist and also about how he sought to pass on the vision that he himself had, had taken on. And then this morning she sent us a brief little note. I know to a few other people saying, remember, this is a time of celebration and remembrance. It's interesting as we look back, especially in our time, we refer to so many people as theologians and we think of the great theological minds of the world. But when we're talking about the church of the first few centuries, we talk about the early church fathers. And there is a big difference between a father and a theologian. A theologian is just some expert you parachute in from a distance who comes and tells you what he knows. But you live with your father. You know what his life is like. You live up close and you see who he was. And that's how he passed on the vision that he had. We, we lived with him and traveled with him. We were on the road with him. We spent time with him and we, we loved what we saw. I remember the first overseas trip I made with him to India. Landed at three o'clock in the morning, intense heat, overpowering noise. I stepped outside looking for a man holding a card with my name on it, and there was Ravi Zacharias. And I went up to him. He'd spoken twice the day before. He was speaking twice that day. And I said, what are you doing here? He said, Michael, it's so disorientating when you first arrive. It's your first time. I wanted to greet you. I'll, I'll take you here personally. And I, I thanked him profusely. And then as we were in the car, I said, please, please don't do that again. I went back a year later. and looking around for the driver. There he was. It was two o'clock in the morning this time. And in my shock, I didn't even thank him. I just said, what are you doing here? But that was who he was. He, he loved to spend every moment he could with the team that he loved to raise and wanted to invest in. It was out of his, that love for his Lord and out of his compassion for this world that he pulled out all kinds of words to my wife and I the very last time we were able to meet and speak with him. That voice came in a whisper, but just like the voice of old, it was filled and infused with power. The world needs evangelists, he said, and he felt that need for the gospel to go out ever more strongly now, especially in these last few days. It came up again and again and again. As a matter of fact, if he were now right with us, he would say exactly what you've just seen on that video, which I haven't seen before. He would ask us not to mourn a great voice we've just lost, however beautiful it was. He would ask us to be praying for the voices which are coming and which are yet to come, because he wanted to raise up people to hear hope, because hope is what is needed right now. When the questions are greatest, when we struggle the most, and we are struggling and wrestling in so many ways with so many issues, with so many problems right now, and we're looking for that clarion voice once again. Ravi often talked about Elijah and Elisha, and by that he didn't mean he was looking to someone coming behind him who would have a greater anointing than him. He meant rather he could have multiplied number of voices who could have a greater impact because of the way that they were able to go out into the world. I'm so indebted to Ravi Zacharias. He, he took me, he gave me an opportunity that so many wouldn't have done. He showed us how we could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through the difficult questions of a culture and not to avoid them. He didn't even like taking questions in written form. He wanted the person to stand at the microphone in front of him so as they personally put his question to them, he could personally answer while tens of thousands of people listened on. He wanted to engage with that person and see those lives changed. In Titus chapter 3 it says, when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And that was the gospel Ravi knew, and that was the gospel he preached, and that's the one that he lived by, and that's the one that we saw, and that's the one that we need so much now in this world. He would ask us today to focus on the cross, on the message of the cross, because Christ is our only true hope in this time of distress. He is the only comfort in the time of our loss. We need the light more than ever in the midst of this darkness. And he lived in a life that's marked by death. It's in the hope of the resurrection that we all now stand. Ravi, we love you and we're going to miss you. 
My daughter Lucy sent me a few words this morning. I'm going to quote them, even though I'm out of time. Ravi, please forgive me. My daughter Lucy this morning sent me the original Swedish version of How Great they are, Thou Art. It's an amazing song. Ravi loved to quote poetry, so I can't think any more wonderful than to end with these words. This is from the early English translation of that original Swedish hymn. When burdens press and seem beyond endurance, bow down with grief, to him I lift my face. And then in love he brings sweet assurance, my child, for thee my sufficient is my grace. And when at last the mists of time have vanished, and I in truth my face confirmed shall see, upon the shores where earthly ills are banished, I'll enter there and fulfill my peace with thee. Ravi would see these as not as words of comfort in a time of trouble, but as a promise and a guarantee, and the need for the gospel to continue to be proclaimed today. And with the help of God, that's exactly what the team will do. Margie, thank you for letting me be part of this. And thank you all here coming to honor someone who's had such an impact in our lives. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who has to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in spirit, in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware brothers and sisters that I plan many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's a privilege to be part of this memorial for my friend Ravi Zacharias. What an outstanding man of God, apologist, also evangelist. Uh, what a blessing to Carol and myself in the Brooklyn Tabernacle where he would come every single year and preach for us. And uh, I would make sure I would do my best. One time I had an entire Indian meal, Indian food, spicy. Oh, he loved his curry. I would have it catered and we would sit and have food together and fellowship. 
And uh, he was an expert not only beyond the origin of the universe and the meaning of life, but he knew good Indian food, I can assure you. One day when he came, uh, I saw a side of him that I never saw before. It was Ravi Zacharias, evangelist. Now, all of his uh, teaching and uh, apologetic work always was trying to lead people to Christ. But he stood this day at our pulpit and said, I'd like to speak today on the prophet and the prostitute. And everybody just got quiet. And he said, I want to talk to you about Hosea the prophet to the corrupt northern kingdom of Israel and how God told him, you want to know how I feel about Israel? I love Israel, but Israel won't love me back. I go after Israel. I bless Israel, but Israel won't pay me any mind. Then go marry Gomer, the adulterous woman, the prostitute. Have children by her and see her be unfaithful because now you know how I feel. Now you know how my love is, is grieved as I keep reaching for her. How can I give you up? I remember him saying, quoting from whatever version he was reading from, how can I give you up, O Israel? And he was expressing that tension of God's love reaching, reaching, and yet people saying, no, I don't want you. And he became, oh my goodness, a, a different Ravi to me that day. He leaned forward at one point, and he was trying to express God's love, especially now God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And talking to those thousands of people, he leaned forward, and he, and he went, please, and his voice cracked. And I thought he was going to cry. I thought he was going to break down and cry. And uh, he leaned forward in this way. I have that picture in my mind. said, don't reject, don't run from God's love. Oh, my goodness. Powerful. God was in the sermon, God was on the preacher, and God was glorified. I, I pray that his passing will be an inspiration for all of us. Given the ministries that we've received from the Lord, let us in our own way keep spreading the message of God's love for the world expressed through Jesus Christ, his son. God bless you. I truly feel so unworthy to be up here, but Miss Margie and family, thank you so much for giving me um, this honor uh, to just share um, what Ravi meant to me. And thank you for giving me the chance to, to tell him that I'll see him later. And uh, that meant the world to me. Um, and kneeling by Ravi's bedside, holding his hand, uh, he looked at me after he told me a couple of jokes like he always does. And he's holding my hand and he says, you know, when I was watching you and I was watching you play your games before I ever met you, I knew one day we were going to be brothers. And I said, yeah, Ravi, I knew we were going to be brothers because we were brothers in Christ. But I got to tell you, you are so much more than a brother to me. You have been a mentor. You have been a teacher. You have been a pastor. You have been a friend but you have also been a hero. And I don't say that lightly. Besides talking about my dad, I don't know that I've really said that about anybody, that Ravi was a hero to me. And I remember the first chance that I got to meet Ravi was at an event in Washington, D.C. called Together 2016. And it's where people, hundreds of thousands of people flew all over, from all over to come to D.C. to pray. And 
hear different people speak, and I got to be blessed to be one of those speakers. And so Louis was actually on stage speaking, and Louis, I'm sure it was amazing. I didn't hear a word because I was on the side of the stage, and my brother was with me, and I go, Robbie, Robbie Zacharias is standing right over there. And Robbie was right in the corner, and I go to my brother, should like, you think I should go say something to him? And he's like, yeah, go say hey to him. And guys, I just gotta be honest, I don't really get starstruck a lot. I was so starstruck. I was so excited to see Robbie. And my brother's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, what should I say to him? He's like, well, tell him about when you were flying overseas and you literally listened to him for 15 hours straight. I was like, yeah, yeah, good call. So I literally, I, I walk up behind Robbie and I, I kind of give him this big old bear hug. And I was like, hey, brother Robbie, what's up, man? I'm Tim Tebow. And he turns around and he's like, hey. And he like grabs me and he squeezes me. And I think he coughed a little bit because I was squeezing him way too hard. I'm sorry, Miss Margie. And, um, and it was, it was so excited to, I was so excited to see him. I go, I go Ravi, I, I just got to tell you, you've meant so much to me that when I was a teenager and I was flying from Detroit to Japan, the entire flight, I listened to you for 15 hours straight. And he looks at me, he says, oh, brother Timmy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And that was, that was just always Ravi. When you try to honor him with something special, his sense of humor and his humility always goes to the forefront. And I just remember that we had the chance to become such fast friends, but we were never just friends. He was always such a mentor to me because as a young person, I was someone that I was so eager to want to tell the world about Jesus, but I didn't want to do it in every cookie cutter way. I wanted to do it different. And I got to listen to this guy that said, you know what, you don't have to be like everybody else. Look at the ways that I'm doing it. And I got to listen to him talk over and over. And I'll tell you so many times I would hit uh, mute on a game that I'd be watching and I'd hit play on Ravi and I'd watch a game and I would listen to Ravi over and over so I could pick up a nugget so that I could be prepared to give a reason for why I believe in Jesus. And you know, I believe for all the people here and even all the people watching that if Ravi has touched your heart, then let's honor him, but not by just sending flowers, not by saying thank you, not by sending cards, but honor him in a way that would truly honor Ravi by honoring the one that Ravi always honored and made his life about the one, and that was Jesus. So if Ravi touched your life, then let's honor him by honoring the one that he honored more than anything else, and that was Jesus Christ. And there's been so many people that have stepped up here and they've talked about hope, and hope is important. It really is. But Ravi's form of hope, and as believers, our form of hope isn't hope that we're wishing upon a star. It's not a maybe, it's not a possibility. No, the biblical form of hope is hope with assurance. So our form of faith, hope, and love is hope with assurance. And the hope comes in a person and his name is Jesus, and that person always comes through. And so we have assurance in our faith. We have assurance we'll see Ravi again. We have assurance in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, when we put our faith in him, that we are redeemed with the Father. He loves you, and if we want to honor Ravi, then we're gonna honor him by putting hope in Jesus Christ and the assurance that he gives. Thank you guys so much. When God wants to drill a man,
When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and scale a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts them and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart cries and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he is about. Somebody once asked me, what are going to be your first words when you see God? I said, I'm going to be absolutely silent because I'll be terrified at what his words are first going to be to me. <laughs> I'm nowhere near concerned about what I'm going to say to him. I am truly concerned about what he's going to say to me. And if I were to hear from him the words, well done, what do you say? the divine accolade that everyone longs for and dreams for. When our time comes, we all have to go. But until that time comes, our sovereign Lord will protect you from any intimidating, any terrifying reality. An eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Well, the cardinal rule of being a Christian speaker is to never follow Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> Ravi always let you know when it was time to go. I had a sense in my heart maybe uh, a little while ago that he, he would be leaning over saying, uh, Louis, this is phenomenal and amazing and a little overwhelming for a boy from India, but might be time to start wrapping things up. And uh, when you get up there, Louis, if you would, uh, could you maybe talk just a little less about me and maybe just make this last part a little more about Jesus? Could you do that for me, Louis? And I would say to him in my mind, of course, Ravi. Ravi was really good at the ask. <laughs> and then I would just walk right up here anyway and say, I want to give honor where honor is due. And Ravi, you're just going to have to sit here for a few more minutes and take it. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want this memorial service to end. We're coming down to the home stretch, and today is all about Jesus. But today is also about honoring a life lived well. The key word being life. 120 years ago, the great revivalist D.L. Moody wrote these words. They were often quoted by Billy Graham. 
Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. And today I say the same about Ravi Zacharias. Zacharias, Ravi is not dead. Ravi is very much alive today. Ravi is home, Ravi is healed, Ravi has finished his race, and Ravi is free. We know this because Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. Our story today is a story of resurrection. And though Ravi's body has been laid in Georgia clay, that's just a rented space for a human shell. A few days before Ravi died, he wanted Timmy and Lecrae and myself to come so that he could say goodbye to us. It was clear that Ravi was on heaven's doorstep that afternoon and he could just barely manage a whisper. But he was lavishing love on those he loved. He was organizing an event in his beloved India, one that he made me and Lecrae and Timmy commit that we would be a part of. And he was preaching the beauty and the glory of God. He was weak and he could barely move, but he said and pointed down to the side of the bed. He said, if I could just kneel down by my bedside one last time and from my knees go straight to heaven. More powerful words from a man on his deathbed, right? But what if Ravi wasn't on his deathbed? It started dawning on us in that moment that we weren't kneeling beside a deathbed, we were kneeling beside a launching pad, a place where from this life, Ravi was gonna step into eternal life. And we prayed over Ravi on that day in that moment, what the psalmist wrote, I am confident of this, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We knew that we were closer to life than we were to death. And that's where we are right now. That's where all of us around the world are right now. We are closer to life than we are to death because Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, we can live. The gospel that we're celebrating today, the gospel that Robbie preached around the world is the gospel of eternal life. We know to be absent from the body is to be gloriously present with the Lord, but we also know there's gonna be a season of separation. And for us so far, that's been a season of grief and brokenheartedness and loss. 
But for Ravi, that season has been stunning. We grew up, most of us, singing the hymn Amazing Grace, the last stanza we all know well when we've been there. 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, I thought 10,000 years is a long time to sing God's praise. But then I learned that God's math is different from our math. It says in the scripture that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Well, exactly 10 days ago, Ravi saw Jesus face to face. That means that this morning, Ravi hit the 10,000 year mark in heaven and he is still singing the praise of the savior who brought him home. But for us, there's time until we see him again. And in that time, we're reminded of the psalmist, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And that happened in Robbie's life. And it's happening today through his death as the nations of earth and the people of earth and the languages of earth and the tribes of earth are gathered right here and right now in this same amazing grace of our God. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to know Ravi, not from a distance like I did 30 years ago when I was leading with my wife, Shelly, a ministry on a campus in Central Texas. I, like a lot of you, was handed a set of cassette tapes by a man named Ravi Zachariah Sanj. I didn't know who he was either, but on the cover it said the Veritas Forum from Harvard University. That was out of my depth. And every week in that season, I would drive an hour plus to Fort Worth to meet with some men that I prayed with each week. And I would put the cassette tape of message one in and listen to it all the way to Fort Worth. Ravi's messages were just about right for the hour plus drive to Fort Worth and uh, I would finish the prayer time and get back in the car and I would listen to the same message on the way home. Grabbing a little more Timmy each time, just a little more piece of the puzzle. I'm getting a frame now. Next week, same message on the way up, same message on the way home. Next week, I think six months later, I had finished the three tape set. In time, our paths started to cross at various events, and then by the grace of God, we became friends. And we became friends. I got to see this Ravi that you talk about, who wasn't the man on stage, but who was the man behind that man. And I began to appreciate in Ravi's life the thing that I appreciate most about great leaders and it's already been mentioned in many different ways today, it was that even though there was a massive calling on Ravi's life, he always saw people. And he made you feel like when you were around him, like you were just hanging out with a normal guy. Our last meal was three months ago in Sri Lanka. I'm not kidding when I tell you it might have been the greatest lunch of my lifetime. We went to this seafood restaurant where when you walked in the door, 
All the seafood was on ice, caught that day. You pointed to what you wanted, and then the chef prepared it to your liking at the open kitchen right behind where the seafood was displayed, and then it would arrive as prepared to the table, and uh, Ravi's eyes lit up when he saw all the seafood on the ice, and he, he delighted to see that my eyes lit up as well, and he said, what would you like? Point to what you would like. Which one would you like? Which fish would you like? Which... What well, these would you like? And we ended up at the table and I'm sitting there at the table and I'm thinking, what do the people at this table have in common? Who was at the table? Well, there was a brilliant graphic designer from our team at Passion who was my traveling companion on this particular trip. Sanj was there, Ravi's go-to guy. He'd actually organized the whole thing. There was a private investment banker from Dubai at the table and a local businessman from Sri Lanka and a preacher from Atlanta. And I'm like, what do we all have in common? The answer was Ravi. Ravi is what we all have in common. He had this way of bringing people together. And here we were. He's the ringleader at the head of the table. He's making sure everybody's enjoying every single dish that they brought from the kitchen, that we had tried everything. Are we enjoying everything? Is everyone having a good time? He's laughing and he loves the fact that we're laughing, but we know that underneath it all, he's in an incredible amount of physical pain. And he's making everyone at the table feel like the story they're telling is the greatest story he's ever heard. Just like we're hanging out with a normal dude, but I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it for a second. I knew the whole time that the white haired man at the head of the table sitting next to me was a gentle giant of our faith in this generation. That we were having lunch with one of the kindest, most anointed, most recognizable, most powerful voices in the global church. The food was amazing, but I knew sitting there that day what we know sitting here on this day that Ravi was a rare treasure If intellect and prose had a son, his name would be Ravi Zacharias. And he believed that everyone had a distinct invitation from Jesus. And he believed that everyone could have an unbelievable transformation in Jesus. And he would often lead back to Thomas, the one that we always called Doubting Thomas, that Ravi always wanted to reframe as the great, great questioner, Thomas. Thomas called the twin, Thomas, one of the followers of Jesus, Thomas who happened to miss out on that 
resurrection night appearance where Jesus came through the wall where the disciples were all holed up and showed his hands and showed his feet. And later Thomas arrives and he says, what happened? And he said, the Lord was here. And he said, I can't believe it unless I could put my fingers in his hands and in his side. I can't believe it unless I can see it with my own eyes. And so what does Jesus do? He comes back the next week. He comes back again, and as he comes through the wall again, Thomas is there, and Thomas, seeing him, says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, why did you doubt? We, we saw that a lot of years as a put-down, but it wasn't a put-down at all. It was just Jesus saying, Thomas, you know me. Now you see me. And he said, blessed are those who see me and believe, but how much more blessed are those who do not see me and they believe. Jesus wasn't trying to put anybody in their place. Everyone in that room needed to see him to believe. He was just welcoming in you and me into the equation saying by faith, we can put our fingers in his hands today and put our hope in the wounds that are in his side. He, he saw Ravi dead and Thomas, that distinct invitation and the power of life transformation. That same Thomas who became bold, became a martyr, gave his life in 72 AD for the faith that he believed in, in a town we now call Chennai, India. A town, interestingly enough, that 1874 years later, a baby boy would be born in that same town where Thomas gave his life. A little boy named Ravi Zacharias. Saul, breathing threats, now led by the Spirit to pen the words of Scripture. One of the soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross, now proclaiming in his death, surely this was the Son of God. Zacchaeus, just looking for a branch to get a good sight of Jesus, now has got a one-on-one -on -one with him at the table in his house. Peter folded under pressure, but now he's fortified and restored by the love of God. Mary, who had seven demons cast out of her body, but then she got the assignment to be the first one at the tomb on Easter morning. These are the stories of distinct invitation and powerful life transformation. This is Christ's story. If anyone is in Christ, any man or any woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. This is what Ravi is proclaiming today to you, whoever you are, wherever you are, he's saying you matter to God. Your life can change in one moment. You too can become a friend of God and you can be a light in your generation because Jesus never came to win a debate. He came to win people. He came to give his life for people who mattered to God, who would put an open mic in the middle of a coliseum on a university campus and invite all skeptics, all antagonists, all seekers and searchers to come and ask their question, who would do that? But a man after the heart of Jesus and a man filled with the compassion of a gospel that didn't just change his mind, but totally changed his heart. 
And when you knew him, he never walked away and said, man, we got him tonight, didn't we? We shut down all the questioners tonight, didn't we? No. When you walked away, Ravi would say, how many put their faith in Jesus tonight? How many put their trust in the Savior tonight? He never sought to win an argument. He always sought to win a person using his superior intellect to build a bridge of trust so that people could walk across it to find their life in their maker through the righteous one who is Jesus Christ. That was true in his life, but it was also true in his death. Last week, Ravi's body was laid to rest in a coffin made by inmates in Angola prison in Louisiana, the largest maximum security prison in the U.S. Ravi had spoken at Angola on several occasions, the most recent being 11 months ago. He had a special place in his heart for Angola, and he served the people there with dignity and love. But now the tables were turned. And as Ravi's condition began to worsen, inmates at the carpentry shop at Angola were working quickly to fashion a coffin for his funeral. When the person who had arranged for the coffin to be made, who was a friend of Ravi's and had hosted him in his visits to Angola, arrived to transport the finished coffin to Atlanta, she thanked the inmates for working so steadfastly, especially under the circumstances that we're all now in. I'm not even sure if it was relayed to you who this was for, she said. It's for a man named Ravi Zacharias. The inmate cut her off and said, oh yes, Miss Natalie, I know exactly who it's for. It's for Mr. Ravi Zacharias and I know who he is. I've listened to him for many years on the radio and also when he came to visit last year, he continued, I put my hands on this coffin this morning and prayed for your safety and taking it to him. And then he said these words, you know, I was thinking about Angola and what it's known for, for hands that have taken life God's true grace is that he's allowed my same hands to build this coffin that will carry a godly man like Ravi into eternal life. That is a story of redemption, he said. His prayers were answered and that coffin did arrive safely in Atlanta. And two days later, Ravi was gone. But even in his death, Robbie was helping people see the redemption power of Christ. And maybe he's helping you see that today. Maybe you're searching for meaning. Maybe you're looking for something durable in a world that is so fragile. 
Maybe you're looking for this hope that we've talked about today that is sure and strong. Maybe you're looking for the transformation power or waiting for that distinct invitation from an almighty God. Maybe you're hoping and believing that you can be one of those stories who becomes known as a friend of God. And I just would like on the on the basis of what Jesus has done and on behalf of Ravi today to extend to you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever part of planet earth you are on today, that you can come in this moment and put your hands into the hands of Jesus. And to know that those nail scars are for you, for your sins, for Ravi's sins, for our sins, for my sins, for your shame. And that even in this day, you can say, Jesus, I want you to save my life. And I wanna walk in the purpose and the power that you were dreaming about when you created me. If that's you, I'd just like to lead you in a prayer wherever you are. And you could just say, dear Jesus, Thank you for stretching out your innocent hands for someone like me. Thank you for becoming God in human flesh. Thank you for laying your life down so that I could take mine up again. Would you forgive me for all of my sin? Jesus, would you wash all the guilt and all the shame away? Jesus, would you give me a brand new heart? I wanna know you and I wanna follow you all the days of my life. And if this is your heart, just thank him. Say, thank you, Jesus, for saving my life right here and right now. I believe it and I receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Stay. 
the power of Christ in you and me from life's first cry to final breath only Jesus commands our destiny that's our hope Wow. Um, 
there's actually nothing more to be said. <laughs> um, but I'm sure there's a few people wondering what in the world was Ravi doing hanging out with rappers. And uh, it's because he was actually working on his rap album. And uh, as he was teaching me apologetics, I was teaching him how to rap. So we did not complete it. Uh, but sincerely, uh, what in the world does tie a kid straight out of hip hop culture to a scholar from Delhi, India? I used to find myself rapping in front of thousands of people traveling on the road and leaving the stage to hurry back to my tour bus in order to devour his videos and his lectures. As a former atheist who did not become a Christian until I was an adult, I wanted my peers in the culture who didn't believe to have answers to hard questions. I wanted them to be able to, to know why there is evil in this world and, and where was God in the midst of suffering and injustice. I would digest Ravi's lectures in front of these prestigious universities and I would craft the insight into my own language or just rap it. And because of him, I now had these answers to hard questions and who would have thought that this tour bus full of young kids from hip hop culture would go in between watching hip hop award shows to theological debates. I just wanna honor this man for the legacy that he's left in communities all over the world. I, I would sit in his presence after we met and I would marvel at what's been said time and time again tonight at how he would just see the person in front of him. It was like you're, you're sitting next to a master artist or a sculptor and when you see a sculptor, you would tend to ask the sculptor, wow, how do you carve something so beautiful out of that rock? And the artist would correct you and say, I, I don't carve something out of the rock. I see the image and I'm carving the rock off of the image. And that's what Ravi did. He didn't see what everyone else saw. He saw the image of God in humanity and human beings. And he used the word of God, the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness to carve away stone so that we could see the beauty that God had imparted into human beings. And so it's my honor, it's my privilege um, to celebrate him in song and to celebrate what he would want to be, uh, want us to celebrate, and that is telling the world about Jesus. So let's tell the world. Free. I gave you no reason to give me new seasons, to give me new life. 
bless them are greedy. What is a man that you mindful of him? And what do I have to deserve this loving? Trying to make these moments last. Wow, what 74-year-old man uh, has uh, the best hip-hop artist in the world uh, close out his memorial service? This is a special man, and I know some of you are just like, what just happened? What just happened was Ravi Zacharias just happened right here in this moment. Thank you all so much for being here and being a part of this, and to all of you who've joined around the world today, I know that Ravi meant so much to every nation, and so... Uh, it's a big honor for his family, for all of you to have joined in. We just want you to know that we pledge to you today our continued prayers and support, our 100% belief that the ministry of RZIM has got its best days ahead. And we're here for you to cheer you on, support you in that mission personally and as an organization. Can we just maybe uh, give some applause to the family just as a show of our support today, our belief in them, our confidence in what they've been called to do. We love you guys. So if you just stay standing for a moment, the family's going to exit. And then if you just remain where you are, um, our team will come and dismiss you in an organized way. Thank you for uh, being willing to come through all of the hoops today to honor Ravi. I know it was your honor to do that as well. God bless you. <laughs> 